Julie, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of Ruby for All. How's it going? Hey, Andrew, what's up? I am living the life, you know, making, doing a lot of UI stuff this week. And my attention for detail is not strong, but I am good at UI stuff. But our designer came back. I thought I was done. Our designer came back with like 25 things I missed. And I was like, oh, oops. <laughs> but we move. I think today we are going to talk about getting into open source for the first time or as a junior. Have you contributed any open source? Yes, I have. But it took me a long time before I got the nerve to start contributing. I think for me, my experience was I could have started a year earlier than I did, but I didn't have anybody to walk me through. And I found Ruby for Good to be super helpful because, well, one, I actually had someone help me along the way. They were also contributing to Ruby for Good and Ruby for Good has office hours. So I was part of the Costa project and it's funny. I don't think this is how I met Colin Gilbert, but I had Colin come back a couple of times to the office hours to see the new folks. Nice. That's uh, actually how I met Colin. For anyone who doesn't know Colin, Colin Gilbert works at GoRails with Chris Oliver, and he and I run the Ruby Radar newsletter together, and I also mentor him. Uh, we meet every week and chat about stuff. So uh, yeah, Colin has become a great friend, and I met him through Ruby for Good because I didn't really have enough time, I think, or I don't want to say interest. I think I had the interest, but I just knew I didn't really have the bandwidth to like just kind of go in and start banging out issues. But I wanted to help. And so I offered to pair with any junior who was working on Ruby for Good and wanted someone to, you know, help them out or anything. And I think that was before I knew about the office hours, but he was the only one who ever reached out and was like, hey, I would love to pair. And so we paired on an issue, got it fixed up pretty quickly, if I remember correctly. And they accepted the PR and it felt great. And we have been friends ever since. So I think Ruby for Good is awesome. The office hour stuff that they do is great by sticking a senior developer in there who will help you out and can help guide some juniors through the process or um, answer any questions that they have. So I think Ruby for Good is awesome. That's definitely the first place I would go if I was like, I you know want to contribute, but I don't really know where to start. And I'm a little nervous. I think Ruby for Good is a great place to kind of get your feet wet. And they also, the projects they do at Ruby for Good are really good. They are usually for nonprofit organizations. Like uh, the one that Colin and I did was for a diaper bank. And so, yeah, they are doing really cool stuff over there if you're interested and definitely support them however you can. If you're not a junior, not interested in doing the actual coding side, they, I think they take donations. I think they're looking for help for um, leading these projects. So yeah, definitely check that out. I had no idea that you were also contributing to Ruby for Good. Yep. I don't think I have any code in there, but I definitely, yeah, Colin and I definitely worked on at least one issue together. Cool. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. My intro to open source, I'm trying to, I was always really big on the idea of open source and I don't really know where that came from. Maybe podcast or somewhere else, probably podcast, but I remember being very bullish on open source and like my dream was to contribute to Rails and like I, you know, that was something I was always working towards and I like wanted to build gems and I wanted to help maintain stuff. And so I've had a decent amount of experience in it. Um, I think the first open source project I worked on, which is, I think, a great intro for people working on open source is 
we were using this project at work. We were using a gem at work and one of my coworkers actually wrote it. And so the first introduction I got into open source was finding kind of issues with that gem and the way we were using it. And then going back and basically working with this developer who had built the gem like in the evenings on improving it, adding PRs, doing refactoring and kind of learning how gems work. So that's how I got into it. And that was a great introduction to it because this developer obviously knew the gem because he had built it. Um, he obviously had the patience to, you know, help me work on it. He was also in a very different time zone. So it wasn't after work for him when I was asking him all these questions. And so that was, that's like probably the first thing I'd look for is like, well, if you're in a position and you're like, I want to get into open source and maybe your company's using some custom gems, maybe they've written their own. I would definitely look for that first because then you know the creator or maintainer like right off the bat. And so that's kind of like your, the easy part out of the way or the hard part out of the way. It's like, okay, I, this person can help me contribute and yeah, the ramp up is a lot faster. So I think that my, that was my introduction to it. And I thought it was very helpful for me. That's great that you knew somebody who you could go and ask questions to. I think one of the hardest things for me was how do I know which open source would be helpful to beginners? I was always worried about taking up any of the other developers' time or is the question that I'm going to ask too stupid? Yeah, that does kind of remind me of, like, there have been issues, I think, in the past with Hacktoberfest. Do you know about Hacktober? I know a little bit, something about the month of October being when people start hacking away. I don't know the details, but I think there's like a, an event that you can earn prizes, I believe. Yes, exactly. So DigitalOcean runs Hacktober and it's basically this thing where you can, if you contribute to a certain number of projects or open a certain amount of PRs that get accepted, then you get a free t-shirt. And I think I have two or three of them, but the problem with that is that it kind of encourages low impact um, changes and it can really overwhelm open source projects, unfortunately. Um, I mean, that we're not talking about that right now, but it is kind of mindful of like when you're coming into a project and you want to contribute, there are very low hanging fruits that sometimes you can do, right? Like you could go fix typos in the readme. And if they're actual typos, then I'm sure that would be welcome. Um, but then there are things like, reformatting markdown tables and you know like these little things that don't really have any impact on the project like they're kind of just you know trying to boost their pr stats i would try to stay away from anything like that and just try to be very intentional about it but it is hard when you come into a project and you're like i want to contribute but i don't really know where to start and you start looking through the issues and you're like ah, i don't know and it's hard to find like a project to begin with which is why there's some there's certain tools out there and certain services that kind of try to help out with this. Like GitHub has this issue label now that they apply by default called good first issue. And the intention behind that label is to be like, Hey, this is a, this is an issue that you should be able to solve without really needing a ton of context in the code base. Right. It's kind of intended to be like, Hey, this is a great issue for the first time you're coming in here and you're seeing this and like, you should be able to do this without extra knowledge or, being like a super 10x dev or anything like that. So that's the first thing I would look for. The other thing, there's service, there's projects like Code Triage. That's the first one that comes to mind, created by Richard Scheman, which basically helps you find open source projects that you can contribute to. And what they basically do is they have a list of repos that have issues on them. And you can filter them by um, language. 
and you can see that they have issues and go into them and they provide a little more context in there and, and some stuff like that. So that's a great place to find like, okay, I am a Ruby developer. I'm going to come to codetriage.com and select Ruby and then start scrolling through the list. And maybe I find a project that I use or that I like. That's where I would go first. Like if you're using a gem or you really like a gem or you're more interested in learning more about a gem, try to see try to find those first and see if maybe they have some open issues you can contribute to. Because if you're coming to a project that you don't really know or don't really use, I feel like it's going to be a lot harder to help out on any of those issues. But for anything that you do use that you already kind of have some context in and kind of know how it works a little bit, I think those are great. Also any smaller gems, I would not necessarily encourage anyone on their, like the first thing I want to do is I want to contribute to Rails, right? Like I, I hear that a lot and that's kind of difficult. Rails is heavily trafficked. The code base is very complex and there's a lot of comments in there. So I wouldn't necessarily try to pick up Rails as the first one, although you certainly can. I have yet to find a lot of success over there, but for smaller gems, I find them to be a lot easier to contribute to. Uh, great, thank you. Uh, something that came up as you were talking, I wanted to get your definition on what is 10x dev? <laughs> 10x dev is a term that was coined a while back on either Twitter or LinkedIn. And it was kind of a joke. This person started it and they're basically like, you want 10x devs and this is what a 10x dev is. And it was basically ridiculed and like, because what they were saying was a 10x dev was basically someone who works all the time. They always know the code base. They can always quickly solve problems. Like, you know, basically like a, a computer person, you know, it's just, it's just kind of out there. I don't know. It was very ridiculed and I use it as a joke. I think a lot of people at this point kind of do because what, I mean, it doesn't mean anything, right? And what the person was saying is a 10x dev. I don't remember that person. I don't even want to give them really any more airtime. Was that it was kind of like all of the toxic features that you see that workplaces trying to like institute of like, oh yeah, well you're you're not really committed to this project if you're not working like this amount per week and you're not having this type of impact and like this and that. It's just kind of toxic. But I use it as a joking manner, just be like someone who's really good at mm. a really good developer. But I don't, I don't, when I do say it, I don't mean it in the way that that person originally framed it. And I don't think, I don't even know what that person's name was. Like they're kind of just lost. And, but the only thing left is kind of that 10x dev uh, thing that they said. Awesome. Thanks for clarifying. Uh, another question that I had is what might be, I guess, proper or good etiquette for asking questions if you have a question while working on an issue? It depends on the project. I would read any documentation the project has because usually if there's like an obscure way they do things, it's documented somewhere. Like for Rails, you're not supposed to put feature requests in as an issue and they will close it if they find one. There are things like that that different projects institute. And it's like, if you want to add a feature request, you could go here or you know do this. For questions specifically, if you already have a PR open, I feel like I would go there first if it's just an issue and you're just working. Like if you have a PR that you're already working on, you can ask probably as co add comments and ask, or even as code review comments, I think like that's what I would do is like go to the specific line of code that you have a question about 
uh, use GitHub or GitLab or whatever to add a comment on that line and, you know, mention the maintainer and be like, hey, I have a question. Here it is. What do you think? Otherwise, you can just go back to the same issue, I would assume. You can ask questions in there. Uh, that's the way a lot of projects do it, and I think that works fine. I think the only thing is I wouldn't – you kind of have to gauge the responsiveness of the maintainer or maintainers. Is like if, if you're looking on a project and you're like, oh, this would be great to contribute to, but the maintainer is not active and they're not really doing much to the gem or the gem hasn't received any updates in a long time – that may not be the best place to go, um, especially if you do think you're going to have questions, because if that maintainer is not going to answer, then you're kind of stuck. And Or if they're not ever going to look at the PR that you made, then you're kind of stuck. So you got to keep that in mind. But yeah, I think the sometimes they have discords as well. That would definitely be, I would look for that first, because if they have a community already, then chances are people in that community will be able to help you, not just the maintainers. So yeah, I would look for any communities first. If you have an open PR, comment on that and ask the maintainer specifically on lines of code. And if you have neither of those, then just asking questions in the issue is what I would do. Thank you for that advice. What would you say is an average turnaround time for issues? Something that really worried me in the beginning is I didn't want to pick up anything because I thought it might take me too long to solve the issue. And since this is either on my own time or on my spare time, I wanted to make sure that the issue wasn't urgent. Yeah, I feel like everyone's going to do this differently. But what I would say is that if it's an urgent issue, then the maintainer is probably handling it themselves or they're kind of following up with you maybe if you've already said that you would are working on it. I would imagine if it was my project and there was a breaking, something br broken, and the gem wasn't usable, I feel like as the maintainer, that's kind of where you step up and fix it. So I feel like unless they say something on the issue, I feel like you can take as much time as you want. Okay. Now, in doing that, you run the chance that someone else comes behind you and is like, oh, I know how to solve this, and then solves it, and then before you do. So you do run that risk. But in terms of like taking a long time to try to fix an issue, I don't think I would really be concerned about that. Because if they're open to the contribution and it's not an urgent request. And if chances are, if it's urgent, like the issue will say that, or there'll be a label on it or something, right? Like if it's urgent, I highly doubt they're just going to be like, oh yeah, good first issue. And then just leave it out there for anyone, right? So I wouldn't be too concerned about turnaround time. Obviously, I think if it is taking you longer, you might want to communicate that to the maintainer and be like, hey, I am working on this, but it's taking me a little longer, blah, blah, blah. And then maybe offer solutions for them to help with that. Like maybe maybe you need some time to pair or and maybe that maintainer is open to it. A lot of them won't, but some of them may. Yeah, or you just ask the questions you need or just be like, hey, look, I don't have enough time to finish this. I, that's also the thing I would say. There's really no shame in trying to pick up something and realizing it's a little over your head and be like, hey, I just, I can't figure this out without some help or maybe someone else is better to pick this up. Cool. You mentioned something about someone else behind you that maybe knows how to solve the problem, so they do it before you. Are these issues assigned to specific people, or do you just like write in the comments that you're going to try to work on it? Again, that's a every project will do that differently. I would say the majority of them won't assign you if you're not on the project team. 
so yeah, I would say that it's usually like you're in the issues and you're like, hey, I can solve this. And then you kind of just go out and do it. And maybe they assign it to you. I I don't know if I've actually seen one that does do that before, but so typically it'll just be something in the issue comments of like, hey, I'm working on this and then letting the maintainer know. And hopefully the maintainer replies and is like, cool. If you have any questions, let me know. Or, hey, yeah, and here's where you might want to start looking um, maintainers that do that are awesome. They're like, Hey, like, cool. Like, here's where you might want to start looking. I think it's somewhere in here. Um, and that will kind of give you, uh, an idea of where to start. So that's very helpful, but you no, know, typically it's just comments. Hey, I'll, I'll work on this issue. Hey, I'm trying to figure this out. And then, yeah, but you do run that risk of someone, even though you may have said that that doesn't stop anyone else from fixing it necessarily. Right. So I think one thing you have to become very, comfortable with in open source is rejection and i think you have to become comfortable with that in like very many aspects of technology but specifically in this this context yeah you have to be okay with rejection because you might work really hard on a pr and it's great and you think it's awesome and the maintainer's just like no sorry and you just have to be okay with that right because you have to trust that they understand the project and uh, they're trying to do what's best for it like when you're a maintainer like one thing that you have to kind of keep in mind is that for every new piece of code that comes in, that's more code that you have to maintain. And if you don't write it, then you're going to have to then figure it out if it's broken, right? So sometimes people come in with these massive PRs that change all this stuff and you're just like, no way, because I don't really, you know, you're doing all this stuff. I'm not interested in supporting it. Like if I have to support it, then I have to learn this and that and all this other stuff. Chris runs into this sometimes on his gem called Pay. Where someone would be like, hey, I want to introduce support for this payment provider that no one's ever heard of. But now if he if Chris accepts that PR, then he has to then maintain and support and fix that if it breaks. And if the other person who implemented it, it just adds it and ghosts, then you're kind of stuck with it. So rejection happens a lot in open source. Don't take it personally. It's not necessarily because you did bad work. It's probably a lot more behind like, oh, well, I don't want to support this, or I don't want the scope of the gem to increase, or I'm just not interested in this feature. Because a lot of people make gems for themselves and for their purposes and what they're working on. So it's like, if you come in, you're like, oh, I want to do all this other stuff. And suddenly it's not going to work the same way that they want it to. They'd be like, probably not. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I think that'll be very helpful to keep that in mind for when things like that does happen. I'm not taking it personally. Yeah. One more question that I had is if you happen to come across a bug and you kind of solve this bug yourself, do you need to create an issue for it or can you just open a PR? Uh, maybe it depends on the project. I think once again, it kind of depends. I think if you already know the fix, then I don't see any issue with opening the PR first. It's always great to link back to an issue. Some projects in their PR template will want you to link back to the issue. And so at that point, you may want to create it or you could just open the PR and be like, hey, there wasn't an issue for this, but I found it. Do you want me to make an issue for it? And they might be like, yes, or they may be like, no, it depends on how they're running the project. For me in my projects, if you came in and fixed an issue, I don't need an issue for that, right? Because I'm like, oh, okay, I, I see because like they they showed me it was broken because of these test cases and I can see now that it's fixed. I don't need an issue for that. I can just you know merge it and move on. But the bigger the project, the more process they have. So 
I would definitely just kind of look and once again, read any of the contributing documentation that they have like in the repo or in the readme or maybe on their website or whatever. Cool. Thank you. So yeah, that's, those are a few things around kind of getting started, but yeah, I, I will heart back to the getting okay with rejection because it will happen a lot. I mean, I've had a lot of my changes rejected. I've had a lot of things. People are like, I'm like, this is an issue. And they're like, it may be, but we don't care um, and close the issue. And that's just, it just happens. And I think you kind of have to just understand that that will happen and just be okay with it. It's not about you. It's about them. Right. And what they think they can maintain or what they want to support. And it's their project. I was going to ask you another question about if finding an open source project to contribute to is kind of like dating where the first one might not be the best fit for you. Yes. Oh God. I don't want to talk about dating. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. It is very hard to find something that's compatible for you, right? Because you have the things that you're good at and your strengths and your weaknesses, and you need to find a project where you can um, exemplify those strengths and maybe you find ways to improve on your weaknesses. Like I've, I've gone to a few gems in the past and be like, okay, I'm not really strong on how this works, but maybe if I fix an issue, then I'll understand how the code works internally. And then I'll understand the gem better and how I can use it. But yes, not every, not every project you go to will be a good fit. Sometimes the maintainer won't be a good fit, right? Like I mentioned that they might not be around or they might not actively be maintaining it. So you have to find a maintainer that's maintaining it, who's willing to accept um, outside help with good issues, good, well-written issues. And so, yeah, it is kind of like dating in that sense of where you might try to, like the first thing you try to fix, you might spend like a couple of days on and never be able to fix. So you kind of just have to put that down and move on to the next thing. Cool. Well, instead of uh, dating, we could also say finding a therapist. There you go. <laughs> No, you're, you're absolutely right. Not everything will be a good fit. And I think that's just like with companies, with, you know, anything you kind of do, like you'll be like, all right, this isn't really working, you know, and maybe the maintainer is just not helpful. Maybe you're just not able to grok the code, whatever it is. Don't feel shame about it. Just find, you know, put the issue down. If you've already said you're working on it, just admit that, hey, I wasn't able to solve this. Hopefully someone else can, or maybe someone else can help me and then we can solve it together. But there's no shame in being like, I can't fix this. That's a good point. I have come across a couple of issues where someone had to put it down for various reasons, and I've never thought anything of that. Yeah. And I, as someone who maintains some gems and who did maintain a very popular gem for a while, it is what it is, really. I mean, people come and go to the project. I think that's something as a maintainer you begin to understand is like sometimes someone will come in very enthusiastic and be like, I want to help. I want to help. And then they don't. And you kind of just have to, it's kind of like that same rejection that you kind of get from the maintainer is that you kind of experience yourself with contributors. And it's okay. I mean, people, we're all human. We all like sometimes pick up more than we can chew. Sometimes the issues are just, you know, they're so complex or they're so edge case or you can't recreate the issue or whatever it is, you know, like I said, no shame in it. We all, I mean, I've done it all a ton of times. Cool. Thank you. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about with regards to open source? I would, one thing I'd kind of want to mention is that we don't all have the luxury of being able to contribute to open source in our spare time or at work, I should say, not in our spare time at work. Well, in our spare time too, like not everyone has that luxury. Like I 
when I work at Podia, one of the things I came in and said was like, I want to contribute to Rails somehow. And so earlier this month, I was able to submit an issue uh, with a reproduction case and it was an actual bug and they fixed it in Rails. And I tried to fix it, but I couldn't figure out how. I would never have figured out what, what the way this person solved it. I would never have figured that out. But Podia has been really awesome and being like, hey, if there's an opportunity for you to contribute to Rails, we want you to do that and you can do that on our time. But not everyone does that. And I feel like recently there's been this kind of discussion about, oh, telling people that they need to code in their off time is toxic for some reason, which I don't agree with. You don't have to code in your off time to be a good programmer at all by any means, but doing it will make you better, right? Because it's practice makes perfect. Coding is a lot of practice and the more code you see, the better code you can write, I think. So I will say that you might have to do this in your spare time. I think the majority of people have to do it in their spare time. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it's just like what you can take on and what you can handle. So if you don't have the time or bandwidth or you have kids or like you have a life that you actually live, it's fine not to contribute to open source, right? No one is saying you have to contribute to open source, but I've, I, it's been a very rewarding experience for me. I've learned a lot. I met a lot of really cool people doing it. And so I would definitely encourage everyone to try. Getting started is definitely the hardest part, I think. But once you kind of get over that initial hump of like, okay, I've contributed my first project and it got accepted, or I contributed and it didn't get accepted. Either way, it's like once you do it one time, you start to learn like, okay, this is how I can, con this is how I can contribute. This is how I can communicate with the maintainers. Here's what I need to look out for when thinking about picking up an issue. So it's really just practice makes perfect you're probably going to have to do it in your spare time. And I think that's okay as long as you have the bandwidth and the desire to do it. And I think a lot of it does kind of come down to desire. Like if you want to contribute, then you'll eventually figure it out. There's no golden path necessarily. But if you don't, don't feel like you have to. You definitely don't have to. And I think for anybody who's looking for their first tech role, contributing to open source was a really great way for me to get more comfortable and more familiar with working in a group in a team and pushing code into a repo that other people were also pushing into because it's very different from doing my own project. So I want to stress that contributing to open source is one way where you can get that experience where otherwise you might not be able to when you don't have your first job. Yeah. When you don't have your first job, I think open source is excellent. It's obviously a lot harder to do because you don't have like someone you can go to necessarily, or maybe you do, who knows, but the problem of like, oh, you need experience to have this job, but like to have a job, you need experience or you, that's how you get the experience, right? Like that's an ongoing problem. And one way that I have tried to kind of get away from that in the past is when Colin and I first started working together on stuff, what I did was basically sponsored him on GitHub to work on my projects. And so that was the way that we were trying to add experience to his resume, basically like, okay, here's all these open source projects he's now contributed to. I'm actually basically paying him to do so. And now I am a reference for him in the future. There are kind of like shortcuts and I think open source can be one of those shortcuts, not short in the sense of like, oh, it's going to take you less time to get a job in tech if you contribute to open source, but short in the sense of like, if if experience is the biggest problem for you and those are what the interviewers are saying to you, then doing a bunch of open source can really help with that, especially if you become friends with the maintainer, maybe that maintainer becomes invested in you, they want to help you, that can be a reference for you. 
it's also it looks great on a resume or on like a github profile if i go and see oh this person's contributed this gem and this gem instead of like oh this person has gone through every single rails tutorial and built like their that tutorial project like that's great but open source definitely also exhibits the fact that you can communicate you can communicate written in written terms you can go through code review you can um you know do all these other things that like we've talked about in the past are very important but outside of the coding part of being a developer so i think it demonstrates a lot when i see someone who has contributed to open source awesome there's so much good tips and advice in this episode for open source thank you andrew yeah and i think that kind of puts us right on time Anyone listening, if you listen to this episode and you're inspired and you create your first open source commit or your own open source project or whatever it is, let us know let's, so we can see it and so we can congratulate you and keep rooting for you. Awesome. Well, Julie, have an awesome rest of your day. The rest of you, we will see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.